Cannon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And we are back after a little holiday break to talk about Scream 3. Not quite as good as the other Screams. Not by a fucking long shot. Directed by Wes Craven. Written by Aaron Kruger, not Kevin Williamson. Came out February 4th, 2000. I was originally supposed to come out that December and it pushed back. Which is just weird for lots of different reasons. Like it was their December release the past two times, but you know it came out, and then it was like three week or three year absence, and then it comes out in February. Yeah, yeah. just one of the many signs that there was something wrong. Like we knew before we went to see this movie that like we were like this is gonna be shit, right? Like we could just tell from the the news about the production. Uh. Jane signed the bomb. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. Oh, before we get into it, I think we have not podcast since we took our poll on Randy mm. versus Chandler. Mm. Apparently, there are a lot of people out there who really think that Chandler is cooler than Randy. Mm. I am not sure if it's a totally accurate poll, though, because I didn't specify Randy and Scream 2, and I feel like that might have made a difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. But once again. Point toes to Marco. <laughs> oh, you know, we forgot to mention. Um, some people asked us if we were going to do a Fantastic Beasts podcast, and then we went and did one on our other podcast where we talked about it for about 20 minutes. Um, if you want to listen to that, go to our website page and go to Time Trial Murder Mystery, the latest podcast where we talked about is there. But I think we will probably at some point in the future do a headcanon on it, right? Maybe, maybe not. Sure. I, not, I, not soon, I don't think. But at some point, we will do like a, a full one. Spoiler, I didn't love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we both had mixed. Maybe I'm more mixed than negative. You, maybe you're maybe more negative, but we're not huge fans. I mean, it's a better movie if you compare it to, say, Scream 3. <laughs> yeah, I, I think eventually we'll do a headcanon, just not... Not anytime too soon, I don't think. Maybe when it comes out for video, I don't know. Anyhow, let's talk about Scream 3. Yeah. The third film in the Scream trilogy. <laughs> um, do you want to go first or should I? All right, mine's pretty short. Um, this is the, exactly the kind of movie that the first two so expertly mocked. I just stole my line. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's probably in like every single review of this movie too, as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie suffers from I don't know literally everything. I think primarily the studio's reaction, such as it is to Columbine. Um, I didn't like it. <laughs> Scene. Screen three is somehow even worse than I remember because I only watched this movie once before. It feels like it was like instead of going with the original creative team they just let some like hack writer friend of ben affleck repurpose his own crappy b movie like hollywood slasher script and just change change the name to screen characters oh wait that's exactly what happened uh fuck this movie (laughs) everything the first scream was making fun of Mm -hmm. and scene so it's funny that you did the poll for do people prefer the ones we hate or the ones we mm-hmm. like? I don't have the energy to hate this movie. Um, I, I can find some energy. 
I got this, I got myself this is a Mountain a... Dew in front of me here. Okay, wow, it's gonna be extreme. You're going you're going dauntless on this one. Um, it's it's not like I just saw it like Suicide Squad and I just wanted to murder that. Um, whatever. Let's Let me see. ask you this: How were you able to watch this in one sitting? Nope. <laughs> me neither. I did it. I did half and half. I was like, I can do an hour of this, and then I need a break. I like. I like how you made it an hour. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'll. I mean, I paused here and there to like, like go check my phone and do some other stuff. But yeah, like split up over two days, an hour here, an hour there. Oh, yeah. I mean, top three moments. <laughs> These are like. These are like uh, moments ten, nine, and eight. I don't even have a top three. Yeah, uh, my mine are perhaps cheating a little, but uh, yeah. What's your number three? Um, it's 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 more so than I usually do. It's like the tinier moments, and they're bad, and I regret them. But the one, the one guy, the fake Freddie Prince Jr. or whatever, Tom Prince. Tom Prince is giving her shit, Gail shit about the story he did about the car crash. You know, last month it was. Mm-hmm. You know, she said it was drinking and drugs. It was actually just blowing out tire. And he's just like, are you parked in the lot? Because I should go make sure no one's messed with your brake line. Um, it's and like then the they only, never paid it off. Never paid it off at all. It's like the only good line delivery the guy has. Yeah. When I was rewatching this, so I was like, wait, is there like a scene where her brakes are messed up? And they suspect that guy maybe? No. 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 Not at all. Yeah. Um, so like I said, mine are totally cheating. Um, I like mm-hmm. the scene. This actually wasn't in the movie, but... I like the scene probably before the movie began where Gail Weathers let her cat do her bangs for her. Oh, God, those bangs are a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. What happened, Gail? She went from the best hair to the worst hair. Yeah. I think we could all imagine Gail Weather having her her pussy cat cutting her bangs with scissors. That would be better than this movie. Oh, I, I just, I feel like Emily the Strange just like chastised her. Like, what the fuck are you doing? It just looked, yeah, I, I don't think her hairdresser likes her. Yeah, no, no one's hairdresser or wardrobe liked anyone in this movie. This movie looks terrible. Yeah. Uh, what's number two? Um, it's the smallest of small moments during Randy's video. When he points out this may not be a sequel, but it might actually be a trilogy. And Dewey's like literally, whoa, a trilogy. Gail seems so intent on this too. And Sydney looks over at them and she has this great brief dismissive look on her face like, what a f- bunch of fucking nerds. That's probably just Nev Campbell's like you know, involuntary reaction. Yeah. Uh, my number two moment was when uh, Carrie Fisher collected a paycheck. Yeah. She's like, I don't know why I'm in this movie, but whatever. She apparently, something I read, it's like she wrote a lot of her dialogue or crafted her character for this. Does that just mean she said whatever she wanted? Yeah. She yeah. was like, oh, there's a script? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, what's your number one? Um, I like the idea of the chase through the, the set of her old bedroom and everything and the mm-hmm. way it's all mashed together like a memory would be. Um. It wasn't very thrilling and or interesting on screen, but I like the idea, which yeah. apparently I read that Wes Craven, no one wanted to do that. So he paid himself to have those sets built. And then once they were built, they wrote that scene, basically. That's kind of disappointing me. That's also my number one. 
but like you, I'm like, eh, they didn't, I don't know. I feel like they had the one bit where like the door leads to nothing. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think they did a whole lot with the sets. And I, I think they could have done more, especially if you're going to pay the money to build those. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all I could find to say nice things about this movie. This is a terrible fucking movie. Uh, um, I was, it's amazing that there were such problems with like writing as it went for Scream 2. And it still came out like relatively, fairly, incredibly solid. Kevin Williamson is writing it instead of some hack. Uh-huh. Well, I guess I mean Scream Three is Scream Four. That's what he intended, I guess. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, he handed in an outline, and then Aaron Kruger just like threw it in the trash and wrote his own shitty movie instead. I mean, it really does feel like Aaron Kruger had some like some sort of like dark side of Hollywood movie in his head were possibly mm-hmm. already written and then just like went back and like forced scream into it. Yeah. Uh, so obviously complaints doesn't really need to be covered. <laughs> we can just get to the general discussion. Uh, it's, it's a movie that literally starts off with a helicopter spotlight in the Hollywood sign. Why? <laughs> it's just that kind of movie. Oh, that reminds me. I don't even have the fucking movie up on my computer. I should probably pull it up. Should you? That's how little I care. Um, sounds so professional. <laughs> can I just say that, like, everyone in this movie looks bad. Like, this is 2000. For some reason, it looks like the early 90s. Like, yeah. bad hair, bad makeup, bad clothes. Like, all these, like, ill-fitting, ugly suits. And, God, everybody just looks awful. It's like, what happened? Well, yeah, but, I mean, I think also that that kind of falls into, like, the first two years of any decade are kind of this hard to like nail down thing because the previous decade has vomited so much of its shit into it. I don't I don't know if that necessarily applies. I mean like 2010, I feel like people didn't dress like extremely oddly. I don't know if we've quite nailed down what the the look is of of the odds though. Well to start with Cotton Weary, he's like there's very much like a parody vibe in this. It's not like satire. It's like straight up like parody. He's in this like ridiculous all white suit, like a super Hollywood. You know, they're well, not they're not just making a little bit of a joke about how he's gone Hollywood. They're going all the way on it. Like if Sonny Crockett and David Byrne had a baby and that baby yeah. was a cosplayer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we start with Cotton, as you mentioned, and the real villain of the movie, which is L.A. Traffic, <laughs> um, only to find out that Cotton has been dumped out until like an early a 2000s version of like jerry springfield mixed up alex jones springer yeah yeah sorry springer oh alex jones um i like i was like over the top i got reaction i was dumb my initial thing was when he thinks that the girl is calling Mm. and he's like are you 100 cotton fan i was like that's clever and then I feel like they ruined it by having that be the title of the show. Yeah. Um, 110%. When it cuts to, uh, what was her name? Kelly Rowe Third. Yeah, I know. But like, what, who, co- I can't remember her name on the OC. There, oh, oh, oh. Not Sandy. She on the, was she on the OC? Wasn't she? Or am I thinking of someone else? You're thinking of no, the actress who played Sandy's wife is a different actress. Oh, is it? Okay, never mind. Yeah. Kelly Rutherford. 
Um, you and I know her from Briscoe County Jr., but the rest of the kids know her from Gossip Girl. That must be where I know her from. Okay. Yeah. But uh, young Marco Sparks fell madly in love with her mm-hmm. from Briscoe County Jr. Okay. So I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot she was in this. And I was like, I hope they get her out of this movie as fast as possible. So <laughs> she doesn't have to suffer. Yeah. Well, when they cut to her, it looks like this was shot by like the second unit. Like it, it just looks like garbage. Well, so I read that like they would film parts of like, you know, his scene on the road, you know, Hollywood Boulevard and parts of hers. And it was like they kept rewriting and then they couldn't get the, the previous location to go fill out the other half of the new version. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they cobbled all this nonsense together. I mean, it, it looks like crap. The, yeah. some, this movie had a budget almost twice as big as Scream 2. It doesn't look like it at all. It looks like they had their budget cut or something. Like this whole movie looks like crap. Mm-hmm. And it it is a little weird the the cross cutting like this like crazy like car race through town you know weaving in and around in traffic causing accidents I wasn't feeling it it just feels off in the screen movie there's didn't no feel the tension yeah there's no meta ness to mm-hmm. it either no um, and also I just don't feel like Cotton Weary could get Mega Babe Kelly Rutherford Cotton. Probably not. No, I mean, Lee Shriver, maybe, but. Also, you know, the killer is evil because he puts on fucking Creed. Oh, God. That's cruel. Creed, like, they were getting pushed heavily in this movie. I don't know what was going on there, but. I'm trying to remember. What was the. uh, Did they have, like, the same label or, like, same corporate conglomerate that the wine scenes are under? The bullshit thing from one of the last Hunger Games movies. It was, like, Lord was curating the soundtrack. Supposedly, Creed. (laughs) curated the soundtrack are you are you serious yeah yeah wow look that's, at look at the soundtrack listing it is a it is a cemetery of garbage bands holy shit fucking creed curating the soundtrack that makes it all I'm, even worse i'm not even kidding we'll all pause you should go look at the track list <laughs> look at the artists on this thing well speaking of the soundtrack they they fucking get nick cave and the bad seeds to do like a shitty new version of red right hand with like scream inspired lyrics like what the fuck was that that's like maybe even worse than everything else in this movie yeah i mean i i don't know how nick cave sleeps at night uh on a bed full of money i was also under the impression that he had some sort of artistic integrity but i don't know Maybe Creed really uh, blew his door down. Oh, man. Can we all just also pause and like silently laugh at Scott Stapp in general? (laughs) No, fuck that guy. I I was not a fan of the voice changer, just as a conceit. How did you feel about that? Oh, with the people's real voices? Like exactly real voices, yeah. It's, it's, It's so dumb, and it took me out of it so much. It's not... Like I didn't feel like it was clever or interesting. It, the, one of the best things about the scream and the killer was Roger L. Jackson's voice. Mm-hmm. But on top of it, like I just kept thinking, like how would you, how would you get it? Like how would you capture their voice, their syntax, like all that? Perfect. How would you get the moms? Yeah. yeah how did you get the moms? How did you get everyone else so perfectly? You know, it's Even like this, there's whole the like well, they have to work for it. There's this whole like he's the killer is searching for the location in the Sydney Prescott, but apparently he's got plenty of audio recordings over. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, Kelly Rowan plays Kristen Cohen on the OC. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. 
Maybe She's like the Canadian Kelly Rutherford. <laughs> Oh. I uh, I like the brief inference that maybe Cotton is into like stab sex games. Yeah, I didn't really feel anything when he died. I don't know. I was just like, whatever. No, um, I just the whole movie. I'm just watching. I'm like, must be a contract thing. According they saw, to <laughs> they saw the, the the cocktail napkins that contain the script, and they were like, "I don't want to stick around for all this." According to the IMDb trivia, um, he Lee Trevor insisted on taking off his white sports coat to like kind of show off that he'd been working out a little. <laughs> Which I don't blame him. He looks ridiculous in that sports coat. Like he's just like, "What is this? Like a Miami Vice party? Like what? Why am I dressed this way?" Nobody, nobody in Hollywood dressed like this in the two thousands. It's just like a really broad joke. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't have him like, like parked in traffic next to like Robert Evans or something. I'm surprised they didn't work in the stupid fucking donut place from Hollywood or that from LA. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why this movie even takes place in LA other than that it's they wanted to do a Hollywood thing. Like, so you get to the actual, you know, violence in his apartment, which apparently has several different sets cobbled together because mm-hmm. they kept losing locations. <laughs> that is a pretty tough night to just start doing the uh, here's Johnny through the door. Yeah. Like, that is, that's an industrial strength knife action. Also, I, there's a bit where Cotton Weary is just kind of like fighting with this dude. Mm-hmm. Like Lee Shriver's like six four. I feel like he would fuck this guy up. You know, like if it came down to it, this guy, if they're just wrestling, he's gonna win. Especially when you find out who the killer actually is. Mm -hmm. Should we do some kind of synopsis in general when we do these? I know somebody asked. Um I guess we could try. So I mean, should we go like scene by scene? (laughs) Well no, no, no. I mean just in general the movie. I know someone asked that. I think in general, these kind of podcasts, you should be able to enjoy it without having seen the Mm -hmm. movie. It's I, mean, I guess could, I don't know. We we could experiment with that. I, I feel like scene by scene would be better than the whole movie at once, but I don't know. Well, just because I know some people, I don't think actually watch these movies, and this one, I would highly advocate that you do not. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I thought it was clever that the killer very briefly gets them to turn on each other, but it goes nowhere. It lasts for five seconds. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, the voice that the ghost face Ghostface uses at the end of the opening. Is that supposed to be Liev Schreiber or is that somebody doing a bad Alec Baldwin impression? I don't know. I was like, who is this person? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Should we do a synopsis of that scene? Oh. Lee Schreiber is uh, stuck in traffic, gets caught on his phone. He thinks it's a fan flirting with him, but then it switches to the, the killer voice saying that he's going to like attack his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So he drives home in a crazy rush. Uh, meanwhile, the girlfriend gets attacked like this fucking killer is always like revealing himself like 12 feet away so they can run you know mm-hmm. uh, girlfriend gets attacked like runs and hides in the office and then like cut to lee shriver getting home rushing in sees that there's been a disturbance him and his girlfriend face off because there was like a whole voice changer thing where she thought it was cotton outside and it wasn't mm-hmm. and uh then the real killer shows up and kills them both basically mm-hmm. so that's what happened in that scene it was somehow less thrilling than I just made it sound. <laughs> and then I, the title card is all like, like super CGI, like screen three. Yeah, yeah. 
we see that Sydney in this next scene is like a recluse who lives on like this like ranch house and she's got like security stuff. Like there's like, you know, electrified fence with a code and she's got a security system with a code and she's locking doors and she's got a dog and she takes phone calls for a crisis hotline. Mm-hmm. Laura. Yeah. So then we, we have like, a, <laughs> do you have anything to say on that scene? I mean, it's just like, nope. blah. Yeah. I just, I, I forgot <laughs> it was there cause I have no notes on it. Yeah. Um, I took almost no notes on this because I couldn't bring myself to only thing I noticed about this scene is that she has the, one of the original IMAX in it, which is all funny to yeah. see now. Yeah. And, um, she's got like a wig happening. Like, I guess she was really busy. They only had like 20 days of her contractually yeah. that they could get her to shoot. So she's wearing a wig the whole time and it all is because her hair, her hair also looks a little bit big uh, and she's barely in the movie. She's only in like maybe a third of it. Do you remember that the the rumor was that she was going to die in the opening? Even that would be too clever for this movie. Yeah. Um, so then we, we cut over to like UCLA and like Gail Weathers is doing a, oh. uh, like a that, journalism Q and a um, hair. The hair is garbage. And then it, it, uh, it's not a good look. She, she looks like a weird elf. Yeah. So the final question is, a dude raises his hand and says, well, was it worth it? Which, Why is she giving a talk to journalism students? She's like a cheesy tabloid reporter. Yeah. Well, like, I, my, my note's like, dude, she reports for an outfit called Total Entertainment. So get off your high horse a little bit. Well, this seems both like like below her and above her, I guess, at the yeah. same time. Like, there's no way that some, her being like celebrity Gail Weathers would come talk at this stupid college that doesn't even, like, this isn't like USC or something like that. It just looks like some crappy college. There's no way she would do that. And even if this was like a an actual, you know, college-level journalism class, why would they have her there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Well, it's like, yeah, basically her advice is, Sell everyone and everything out to get the story. Yeah. Glory. Which is stupid. And like not really in keeping with where we left her in the last movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then Patrick fucking Dempsey shows up and he's just like, you thought Gail's hair was bad. Check out this coif. Um, correction. Everything about this guy is wrong. This guy sucks I so hard. I hate this guy. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we're going to do like a bottom 10 power rankings and send the top 10 at the end of this. This guy's definitely towards the bottom. He's like one through nine. <laughs> so, yeah, we find out, Gail finds out from the stupid cop that, uh, what's his face, Cotton, where he's been killed. And like a photo of Maureen Prescott was left at the scene, which Gail identifies, I think. Um, and then like for some reason, he's just like, allow me, a police officer, to recruit you onto this case or something. Yeah. Just so that you'll be around. Briefly, there's a scene where Sydney's watching the news. Uh, I wonder how long it took to shoot this scene where she's like watching the news and it's like, oh, Cotton, where he died. And she's like, oh, dear. And then that's it. She's like, am I just supposed to emote generically? Yeah. Well, the main conceit of this movie is that it's Stab 3 is in production on Sunrise Studios lot, which really sounds like a porn studio name. Um, yeah. That's the problem with this. Why wasn't it just Miramax? Yeah, I don't know. And it's like the movie within the movie joke taken to the extreme where a lot of the stuff happens literally on the set as they're like filming this crappy 
And it's like, isn't it funny that there's all these jokes about the stupid third movie where they like had to recast people and then here's screen three itself. Stab three, return to Woodsboro. Yeah, you got some like gratuitous cameos by Roger Corman here. And Lance Henriksen, who's playing a character, he's playing an executive named John Milton, which is super heavy handed. I wonder if that's a reference to John Milius. Or Paradise Lost, yeah, I guess. That too. I just I do wonder. Like big producer guys from the eighties, you know. Maybe. I mean, if he had started like like chucking out stories about like working on Conan or whatever, mm-hmm. that'd be interesting at least. John Milius is nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh fucking Scott Foley here. From Felicity. Sucking it up as the director, whose name is Roman Bridger, which I think might have been like a name discarded from like the Fast and Furious or something. It's terrible. I know he's done things since, but I'm going to forever refer to him as Scott Foley from Felicity. Mm-hmm. Well, you see the fucking Dempsey, the cop and his like lame ass partner come up. They're all like wearing these like oversized like blazers. Yeah. It's the fashion is so bad. Like Dempsey has on like a polo shirt tucked into jeans and then a blazer over it. Like what the fuck is that hideous look? <laughs> it's I don't know, he's in some kind of like super smarmy WB update of like Miami Vice and Hollywood. Yeah, I don't even know what they're going for. Everybody like all their everyone's clothes seems like they're like a little too big for them or something. Like they kind of like hang on everyone. Yeah, no one like you said, no one is being well served by makeup or hair or anything. No, um, and then we this meet. This looks like, like the rejected pilot for this movie. <laughs> seriously, yeah, it seriously has that level of production quality. We meet like the new cast. It's like Jenny McCarthy and like. <laughs> Emily Mortimer, I did not realize was in this movie. Unrecognizable compared to later roles. Yeah, and she's got a wig on for part of it too. At least I think she does. Um, I wouldn't put to pass this movie for her to have just gotten a haircut off screen in the middle of it either. And then like some dude who's like the new like fake Dewey cop, I guess, with this like really bad fake mustache on. And then like the black guy who like he gets a little bit of dialogue about like being a black actor, and then like predictably he just gets killed off later, like it's nothing. You know, but like it's so progressive. You know, it's not untrue what he says about the black actor in the Hollywood game thing. I, I feel like they should have also made some jokes, some meta jokes about how hard it is to replace a beloved character with like a <laughs> ripoff character. Yeah. But I did, I did LOL at the joke about Usher doing Harold Pinter <laughs> on Broadway. <laughs> um, Emily Mortimer. Yeah. Oh, man, what happened? What I was she just not big at this time i guess like i think she had done a single nicole hollow i can never pronounce her last name but uh uh she'd done a single one like like, indie darling movie i believe no she was in the saint man the saint yeah emily mortimer as as woman on plane yeah no i'm just reading her (laughs) on tv (laughs) (laughs) no it looks like she had a lot of tv work before this um, Elizabeth, like, like right off the way, like just make this sound oh, black. She was quote unquote perfect girl in Notting Hill. Yeah, so I guess she hadn't done a whole lot 
in the, in the motion picture business. But she'd been around. She's in the Ghosts in the Darkness. There you go. Oh, yay. Yeah. What? Wow. Girl on Trained? <laughs> the last person I would have expected to show up in this movie, for sure. It Playing like this like very like wayfish, wallflowery, like shy. Annoying. Yeah, she's like the new Sydney, I guess. It's unclear to me whether or not she's actually playing Sydney or like a Sydney-like character. Yeah. Jenny McCarthy's basically like the blonde sex pot who gets killed off after two scenes, both in Stab 3 and in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, without a remote stab, pun intended, at like being clever about it, though. No, it's just too bad because Jenny McCarthy, well, she's gotten horrible recently. But back in the day, she was she was all right. Like she was secretly like had some comic timing, you know, but they don't really yeah, back, do much of it here. Yeah, back in the day. And seeing what I, I mean, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to her big scene. I mean, I, I can think of like, I don't know, maybe like a thousand suggestions for what they should have done there. Mm-hmm. Um, would this movie have been more interesting if they had just gotten David Schwimmer and Tori Spelling to reprise their roles and stab? I don't think they do it. Well, like, I I mean, it, it seems like nobody well, involved in this movie wants to be in this movie. Hold on. David Schwimmer's film career could have starred as one of the, the murder victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was still doing Friends at this point, wasn't he? Yeah, but his movies are all gone yeah. off. Tanks. Still, I, at least he can like not be in this movie. Plus, it <laughs> would have been weird with Courtney Cox. My notes just say here, Gail Weathers, bangs I'm afraid of, and a weird yellow pantsuit. <laughs> yeah, that ugly, ugly yellow pantsuit. And Ooh, then, a matching hideous purse yeah, as a cameraman. Yellow pantsuit with like a red blouse underneath. Like, what is? Oh man, <laughs> it's a disaster. And then uh, Parker Posey shows up in her old lime green uh, power pantsuit from the first movie because she's playing hair. Gail Weathers. Yeah, yeah, and her and hair. The hair. Yeah. Like, why not the hair from the second one? <laughs> I mean, the ghost and hair passed for Gail. Parker Posey's playing Gail Weathers and and just doing her damnedest to find something interesting about this character. Parker Posey is working the hardest of anyone in this movie. And it's not that hard. No, because look at this movie. But yeah. And she's like maybe dating Dewey, we discover. Like she comes over and kind of like stands next to Dewey, like maybe they're fucking, but maybe not. We I, find out later he like lives in the trailer, like outside of her place. It's not like he's moved in necessarily. I feel like he's he's drawn to her because of her. Her galeness. Yeah. I don't know. There's like a weird thing where like Parker Posey gets jealous when he starts going back to get the real Gale Weathers. It wasn't clear to me exactly what this relationship was about. Yeah. Anyway, there's the, whatever plot exists in this movie is a whole lot of bullshit. Like, hey, look at this photo I found. Oh, that looks like so and so. Let's go investigate. Like, it's it's just stupid. And then they Gail eventually gets thrown out by uh, John oh, John Milton. There, they 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 attempt and butcher a new like Dewey theme, ripping off the theme they borrowed from Broken Arrow. Mm-hmm. That that's that's like a metaphor for this movie altogether. Right there. Dewey's a technical advisor on the set. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's mostly just hanging around like the Gale simulacrum. He's, um, he's a hanger on, as Putty points out later. Yeah, as David Putty points out later on. Uh, so less than 20 minutes in, we get a fucking cameo by Jay and Silent Bob. 
Yeah, calling Gail Weathers Connie Chung, and she gives him the finger. What? I don't know why that's even in the movie. I'm so confused by it. I mean, it's dumb. It it it. The cast, the new cast, is lame enough to take me out of the movie. But mm-hmm. this just like torpedoed it with no what, hope of rescue. What was the point of that? Like, it completely rips you out of the movie, and you're just like, "Hey, it's Jay and Silent Bob." What? Miramax just pushed yeah. it on there. I think they wanted they wanted this to be more funny. That was their like response yeah. to Columbine violence. Um, Weinstein's. Yeah, uh, this is like creative U boating. Shout out to uh, dude who plays Neil Prescott for catching another paycheck for showing up on one scene in this movie. No, no. Shout out to the dude who plays Billy Loomis's <laughs> yes. dad. They tracked that guy down. <laughs> He's he still has bangs that Gail Weathers should be copying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He found a look and he did not change. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's Sid and her dad, he like, I don't know, came over to just keep her company for a day. He like leaves after this. We never see him again. But he's just like, oh, I wish you'd move back home. And she's like, nah. And that's it. Yeah. And then is this where she has like the fucking dream sequence? This uh, movie has fucking dream sequences. Uh, where it's like her like the ghost of her mom like walks in like out it's all like blue and misty and foggy outside and her mom's walking in a night gown and comes and like sits at the window and sydney wakes up and she sees the mom like shaking her head at her it's all like ooh, it's a ghost you know this is so this is so flat but like it's still terrible the general weirdness and wrongness of a like, the ghostly body movement still freaks me out um it's it's the know, the uh, nightgown, I think, is what makes it creepy. I want to, I want to apologize to listeners because this is probably like the worst episode of Headcanon ever. But mm-hmm. you have to understand us talking to this; it's like we're passing a stone in the process. <laughs> um, yeah. So, real quick, before that, that scene with the dad, like she references her mother's like secretive and prolific sex life to her dad, who's fairly aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like she's the only person in the world. I feel like after this, the dad went home. Broke out that good bottle of cognac and just like toasted the death of Cotton Weary. <laughs> like he he must have secretly cheered that that guy was dead. Yeah, he's like eh, I can't really say I'm broken up about it. Oh, the guy who was like sleeping with my wife before mm-hmm. she died. Yeah, yeah. I just don't buy that he could get a Kelly Rutherford. I'll drink it to myself. Um, They're really just hammering this idea that like Maureen Prescott just what a whore. Oh my god, just fucking everyone in town. And yeah. it's like really. Okay. Also, also, broken woman ruined by the film industry. <laughs> oh god, the, the the sexual politics of that we will get to. Um, yeah, Jenny McCarthy shows up at the, the the production offices. Her vanity license plate is Darling One. Her name is Sarah Darling, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. We find out that Roman is a music video director. What an asshole! Yeah. Real quick on that last uh, dream sequence, like Ghostface shows up, and then and then it, it was all just a dream. And I, I kept thinking, like, are they going to do a thing later where, like, this was all, like, semi-real with, like, voice changers and, like, costumes or something? And they're, like, you know, trying to do a Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte thing or something like that going on? No. No, these are just pure dream sequences. It's completely unmotivated by anything. But damn, you know, interesting timing considering, like, how much the killer tries, tries to take on the persona, the specter persona of her. How con- how convenient thematically, yeah. yeah. Mm. 
Like, why out of nowhere is she, like, hearing her mother talking to her? And then somehow the killer knows that she's been, like, hearing her mother in her dreams and starts doing it for real later. What the fuck? I feel like even the actress who played Marie Prescott, when she got the call, when she should have been thrilled about, hey, actress, you're going to be a huge part of Scream 3. And she's mm-hmm. like, what? Seriously? Why? Yeah. That's, that seems <laughs> hackish. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised in this Jenny McCarthy scene that they didn't find a lame excuse to like have her be topless or something just because that's exactly that's the level that this movie is operating on at this point where they would put the gratuitous tit shot in there so the whole thing is that she shows up to the office the director's not there she gets a call from quote-unquote him there's there's a whole lot of like so-and-so called me told me to be here i never made that call like that that happens a lot yeah so he's stuck in traffic they're gonna run lines she has a whole diatribe about like, why is my character named Candy? Why am I topless? Blah, blah, blah. Why not do this scene where she shows up his house, having gotten the call to meet him to run lines at his house. And they've been like sleeping together. Cause he's always been sleeping with some of the actresses. Mm-hmm. They've been sleeping together and she's like just stripping naked to get ready for him to come home. <sighs> Whatever. Fuck this movie. Yeah. It's not clever. It's nothing's interesting about this. They, they do a bit where she goes and like the, you know, the the big reveal of all these phone calls, these phone conversations in the movies, eventually it's like click, click. Oh, shit, it's the Roger Jackson voice. Um, and so eventually she goes and runs and hides in a room with a bunch of the ghost face costumes. Which should have been it, more interesting than it was. It should have been more interesting, yeah. And it's like, ooh, and then, oh, one of them's actually ghost face. And, and then yeah. she, like, tries to attack him with some fake props that don't work, obviously, and then he just stabs her. And it's like all the killings in this are so perfunctory. They're so just like, yeah, and then he just kills him. I feel like Roger Jackson should have been like, you're not using me a lot. I, it's not that I'm a vain actor, vain voice actor. It's that this seems like a huge mistake. Yeah. Yeah. He pushes her through one of those doors with like a window in the top half and then just like stabs her from behind as she hangs over it. And it's, it's like lingered on for like a few seconds. And then that's the last you see of her. Cause nobody cared about that character. And you never see her again. You know, it makes the, the death of the principal in the first one seemed more suspenseful. Oh, much more suspenseful. Yeah. It's just, it's, this is just pure slasher, like schlock. It's, yeah. there's nothing clever happening here. There's no like meta twist on it or anything. It's just like, oh, she just, she gets killed, you know. But even, even the, the Barry Zuckercorn kill in the first one has like, a reference to Freddy Krueger. Like, this is, has, barely has any interesting like references. Mm hmm. And then there's there's this dumb scene where it's like Dewey and Gail are like getting lunch and he tells her off the record about how he like somebody had been trying to like break into the Woodsboro police station to get like Sydney's file or something. Yeah. And he like very cleverly like he had removed it beforehand so they didn't get it after they broke in. And it's like, yay, whatever. You know, it's like someone's trying to find Sid. It's like that was a half hearted plot point in this movie that somebody's trying to find Sid, even though they seem to find her pretty easily. Well, again, a question lingers from Scream 2. What are you, Dewey? Are you mm-hmm. a cop? <laughs> He's a technical advisor. Then she, he like gets a call from Parker Posey. Oh, oh, we find out that Gail had, had nursed him back to health after mm-hmm. Scream 2, left him for 60 minutes too. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave Woodsboro, but she did, yeah. Yeah, he sees Toby Cavanaugh. So no one will remember this, but 60 minutes 2 was the thing that they attempted that failed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether or not 
the 60 minutes two is presented as a joke or, or if it was just a TV show, like, I'm not sure at the time whether or not that would have been like funny just to say 60 minutes too. Yeah. It's clear Pepsi. Um, Mm -hmm. This scene, I forgot the pages were a thing. Yeah. Um, we go to Parker Posey's. Gail follows him, uh, Dewey there because she wants to be in the movie some more. And I think we like we find out that people are being killed in the order they die in the movie. It's like, oh, that's interesting. But then, like, immediately it's like, oh, actually, but they uh, there's three different versions of the script, so we don't know which version the killer's going by. And so it's like, oh, that got less interesting. It's not even like the 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 Tyrion thing where it's like so-and-so has this version, so-and-so has that version, so-and-so has that version. So mm. so-and-so dies, we know who the killer is. Tyrion's um, just going to show up and be like, you're in the great game now. <laughs> no, <laughs> Tyrion's going to show up, knock some wine off a table onto the carpet, and be like, mm-hmm. there's the quality of your fucking movie. <laughs> it should just be that scene where he's puking. Yeah, that's this movie. Uh, Parker Posey does this weird thing where she comes over to like David Putty or security guard and just like leaps into his arms to hug him, which yeah. I, I'm sure is all her and like not in the script. I think that just like, seems like the sort of weird thing that she would do. I think he's hiding a smile. Um, yeah. Park, I, I say this about David Putty. I watch this movie and I think, thank fuck that like Venture Brothers came along. Yeah. Um, I just totally thought of Parker Posey as a, as a role for a future project that I want to tell you about afterwards. Um, yeah, his resume as a bodyguard includes, we find out, Julie Roberts, Salman Rushdie, and Posh Spice, <laughs> which is a dry joke. Um, but then he has, he has like one of the few lines that I actually liked in the movie where he tells Dewey that your resume reads like the obituaries. <laughs> Only it's just like you're just a fucking hanger on, you know, telling me what to do. Um, which is true, but for some reason it's like he's the bad guy for saying it. And yeah. we find out Dewey lives in a trailer. And it's, yeah. in my opinion, unclear whether or not him and fake Gail Weathers are fucking. Don't I think they are. That's like, that's pretty. She's just like, I'll fuck you, but you still have to go live in the trailer. It's it's a weird kind of classist. I guess it's complicated. Yeah. But that he's and she knows that he's thinking that of her as Gail. It's a it's a weirdness that I'm into. Mm -hmm. But you know what? (laughs) It just reminded me of how much better in every fucking way the uh, Seinfeld pilot episode was when they do the pilot. Mm, Yeah. You know, when uh, uh, when Jerry fucks the actress uh, who's playing Elaine <laughs> and then she breaks up with him yeah. to get into Elaine's character. <laughs> Who is this dude playing Patrick Dempsey's partner? He's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he's still so they, Patrick Dempsey, so I like him better. Yeah, they, they find the, you know, dead Jenny McCarthy and they find another photo. And so, of course, they immediately read Gail Weathers in on this and be like, hey, civilians. <laughs> Let me, hey, it's civilian and journalist. Let me fill you in on the details of this investigation. Yeah. They also make sure to reference Hannibal Lecter in seven. Yeah. God, I hate these cops. And we get some more Roman Bridger. He, was, he is supposedly called, Jane McCarthy told her to come, and he denies that he called her. And so they're like, oh, we got to take you in for some questioning. He's acting very suspicious about the whole thing. 
Like very uh, defensive, you know? Yeah. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. More Sydney taking calls and then, oh, this I swear, person. I swear to God we're trying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, let's just go faster. I don't know. There's another scare, like the ghost face pretends to be somebody else calling the crisis line and then like, oh, no, it's actually ghost face. And then nothing happens. Like she freaks out and gets like a gun out because she's like smart enough to have a gun now. But like there's no one there. Oh, did we mention the, the red herring of doubt as Patrick Dempsey borrows Dewey's phone and mm-hmm. then this call happens? Uh, but yeah, the yeah did, you all, did you all suspect Patrick Dempsey in this movie? The killer having Marine's voice is the most far-fetched to me. Um, I suspected him of sucking. Yeah. And so Lee Mortimer has like super short hair. Like I guess she was wearing a wig earlier because she has like this really short haircut. She has bizarre body language too. Well, she's dressed in this very willowy, long flower print dress. Like it's just a, this is a Hollywood starlet. Okay, sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like her direction was, "What if Allison Hannigan played Sydney?" Well, it's like she just walked off like a little house on the prairie or something. Like, why would she be dressed like this? Well, well, later on when they're in the end game, she runs down a hallway, panicking at one point, and it's mm-hmm. the goofiest run. Yes, of it all is. Time. <laughs> I think it's because she's in heels. Yeah, that run is bad. Um, so the next scene, this is at Parker Posey's like mansion in the hills. And the other actors are there, including the guy who plays Dewey, who's being all like, I'm a badass. I'm going to tear pages out of the script and like show how disgusted I am with it. Yeah. This guy sucks. I, I fucking hate Matt Kiesler. What has Matt Kiesler done? I need to look him up on IMDb and shit talk his entire career real quick. Gail shows up. She like spies on Dewey, like defending her to fake Gail Weathers. And that's supposed to be like a heartwarming moment or something. You I like that Matt goes, Kiesler, sorry, his primary cr- like credit on IMDb is Scream 3. You poor bastard. <laughs> wow, that's bad. Um, eventually, they figure out that one of these photos of Maureen Prescott, like young Maureen, is like taken in the same location that uh, fake Gail Weathers had a photo taken. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, what if these are publicity stills? And it was like suddenly you realize, you find out like backstory that Maureen Prescott like disappeared for two years, like from Woodsboro, like, you know, in her like early twenties and she like showed back up and got married, but nobody knows where she went for those two years. And apparently she went to Hollywood to be exploited. Which is, you know, what happens to so many of us, but we all went about the natural progression of it, which is to get spit out the ass end of the porn industry. Yeah. Um, yeah, they have a party at Parker Posey's house. Everyone's But Putty goes into the trailer and gets attacked by the killer. And he does the thing where he like wanders out later and they're as just as they're freaking out inside, he like wanders up there like all bloody and then like heals over with a knife in his back. Yeah. And everyone's like, Oh no. And there's this stupid fucking thing. This is so dumb. Where like they start getting faxes from the Ooh. killer. Before that, when they all pop up again mm-hmm. at the party and like nobody panic and everyone panics. It's like, you know what, guys? You're not doing like the improv quality version of Clue. Yeah. Yeah. This is seriously. a screen movie. <laughs> yeah. They start getting fax pages. Well, like 
they're all inside and then like the power goes out and they're like, hey, everybody go outside. And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so they all run out to the pool and they start getting fucking faxes like of, of script pages. And it, what annoys me possibly most about this is that it's not in Courier. Like it's like in Times New Roman. I don't know what, what the fuck that is. Yeah. Uh, and it's like interior Jennifer's house, you know, with the bodyguard stabbed to death. The five sand traps as a killer waits outside. That's bad writing. Um, so they, they're getting these pages, like just like one little paragraph at a time. And like they keep like Parker Posey keeps trying to read them and find they're just like like Dewey and Gail are like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, why do you keep reading this? This is obviously some sort of trick or something, you know. But then they're all out there and the the fake Dewey guy, um, what was this guy's name? Mark Kessler? Mark Kiesler. Kiesler. Or uh, Matt Kiesler. Yeah. Whatever, Mark. Uh He's just like, I gotta know how it ends, or <laughs> like some bullshit like that. And he runs back inside to be like, and, and then it's a, what's this? It's a trap. And then we're like, oh, who who left the gas on? And then the the whole thing explodes because he's using his lighter. Uh, it's dumb. The whole house explodes because like the killer cut the gas main or something. Mark, can I call you Mark? Actually, it's Matt. Mark, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh wow, his his uh, IMDb credits are. Perfect like, for what, the time. What motivated him to be like, I got to know how it ends. <laughs> like, I, him of all people, he's like, I got to know what's on that the scripts. And it's just like, you know, the only one who survives is whoever smells the gas. <gasps> oh, no, I'm holding a lighter in a house filled with gas. And then he explodes. Yeah, I guess he's just desperate to get out of this movie. I guess he is the middleman from the middleman, which I think was a Norbuck show. Um Oh boy, this career! Oh, he, he did a leverage. He did two Law and Orders, um, Art School Confidential, a couple Whit Stillman's, a lot of pilots, mm. Psycho Beach Party, so Sour they, Grapes, the Larry David movie, Waiting for Guffman. Wow. Okay. They I, all uh, they all get of them. yeah they all get thrown like off you know down a cliff by this explosion. Emily Mortimer like weirdly vanishes. It's suddenly just the three of them like Fake Gale, Real Gale, and Dewey. They roll down to the bottom. Somehow, Gail is all the way at the bottom. Dewey's only like halfway there. Like, Gail's down by his truck, and she's just like, I'm fine. And the killer like runs around the, the truck or the SUV and is going to attack Gail. Dewey shoots the killer like five or six times with a gun. Mm-hmm. And the killer just like rolls under the Jeep and like gets away or something. Yeah. It's not exciting. Eventually, Emily Mortimer shows up and they, she shot this whole time in this like medium distance. Like you're just like waiting for her to die, you know, like, cause at first it's like, Ooh, suspicious. Where'd she come from? Mm. And then it's like, she's standing around so long. You're expecting just like a car to drive by and decapitate her or something like that. But it just doesn't happen. She's just like standing there in her kill shot, but she doesn't get killed. I'm just trying to picture her like quoting Don Quixote to Will McAvoy, you mm-hmm. know, 10 years later. And I just, I just don't see it. Yeah. Great things come from small beginnings. Yeah. <laughs> That's a double reference. Um, uh, yeah, well, so, then, then they, they get a little note, like another Marine Prescott picture is like showing up out of nowhere and it says, I killed her on the back. Like, ooh, it wasn't Billy who killed Maureen Prescott. It was this new killer. Yeah. And no one cares. Mind you, we're 50 minutes into the movie. And like the cops are just like, hey, is Sydney Prescott the main lead in this in this movie? And then she finally shows up. 
jokes on you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I wanted to enjoy just the meta-ness of uh, uh, Gail and Dewey about to kiss and Parker Posey shows up and Parker Posey hits Dewey and Gail hits Parker Posey. But yeah, so eventually they, unfortunately, they end up back with the police. Patrick Dempsey needs to talk to Sydney. He's putting a deadline on it because he has a press conference in an hour. So Dewey goes to try to call Sydney, but she shows up um, wearing her exact same outfit from Scream 2, including Jerry O'Connell's frat letters necklace thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's ready to join them, the fight, whatever. She's like, I am, I'm here to join the movie. You've got me for five hours, and I got to go. You got to shoot Clocks party five. Yeah. Ticking. <laughs> you literally have the rest of this day, and then I'm gone. Um, so they go to the, the movie studio to try to hunt down more information about these publicity <laughs> stills or press photos. or The dumbest headshots. fucking thing happens here. And then Heather Montezaro shows up as Martha Meeks, Randy's sister. Um, well, not only is she Randy's sister, but they have to make her look all kind of like weird, like Randy. You know, like she's got these like weird, like yellow lens, like sunglasses on and stuff. And then she has like odd ball hair. It's like, you know, it's not like they're twins. I don't think <laughs> like it's yeah. not like they share a personality. She doesn't need to be like the weird one, just like Randy was. Yeah. So yeah, she's she's there literally to deliver like this secret video that Randy made during Screen Two with the rules for a trilogy, like just in case if at some point in the future they would require somebody the Randy to deliver the rules for the trilogy and he was not alive. And the VHS tape, yeah. It's terrible, and yet like I feel like Jamie Kennedy, he's he's doing his best, you know? Yeah. Like the parts where he's just like, sorry if I didn't make it, you know, like and like, oh, that's too bad. That reminded me of a better movie that had Randy in it. Well, the, the the like screenwriting trying to be cutesy one hundred one of the roommate knocking fifteen mm-hmm. minutes um, is he's just like Sydney, you can die because it's you know all bets are off in the last movie of a trilogy. Pretty pretty generic rules. It's something about the killer is superhuman. Well, they're they're also I feel like super afraid to reference like Luke and Leia being brother and sister. Not that they have, mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that they have a Leia to match, you know, Sydney's Luke. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, Carrie Fisher shows up. Um, yeah. So, so get Weathers and Parker Posey team up. They they need to get into the the archives. Look this up. Their their team up is like they open a door, they walk down some stairs, and they talk to the archive lady, and she hands them <laughs> the file. That's the team up. You know, in the movies, they play you as being much smarter um, and a sane person, which must be stressful to you. Well, it's like Parker Posey's thing is she's gonna she's pretending to be Gail, so therefore the killer wants to kill her, so she'll hang out with Gail, so the killer would just kill Gail. Um, there's a there's like an attempted joke about Gail trying to to bribe with the fifty dollar bill, and it's like that's not enough in Hollywood or something. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, so Carrie Fisher shows up as a has-been actress who looks like Carrie Fisher, which is both meta and depressing. The, yeah, I couldn't stand that. Like, it was bad in Ocean's 12. It's bad here, too. Um, I feel like it's worse here. Um, she makes a joke about how Carrie Fisher actually got the Princess Leia role because she slept with George Lucas, mm-hmm. which is extra funny because in real life, currently, Carrie Fisher finally confirmed her affair of Harrison Ford. Do you think there's anything to her little joke here, though? I wonder. About saving of George Lucas? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, they find like more pictures of Maureen Prescott, and they're like, "Oh my God, Maureen came to Hollywood and was an actress." 
and like these like shitty slasher movies that John Milton was a producer of. Ooh. Yeah. There's a scene where Emily Mortimer is like hiding in the bathroom because she's like stealing some props because like the, the production's canceled. And she talks to Sydney, and it's just generally super creepy. It's just there to make you think, ooh, maybe she's the killer. It's like she's gotten too into the part or something like that. Yeah. Also, Judy Jurgenstern. Mm-hmm. And then we get the the walking through all the sets in, you know, the fake Woodsboro. Which is, would be, it should be cooler. Like, there's there's these brief yeah. moments where you see that old, like, stained glass window at Stu's house and, like, the open door you know, that like we last saw like Dewey stumbling out of and whatnot. Like, I don't know. I feel well, like they could have done more here. As vis- as Sydney visits the set of her old room and hears the voices of movies past, I wanted her to violently object to the Creed poster. They have a set dressing in her room. <laughs> they but took thought, down her Indigo Girls poster yeah. and put up a Creed poster. She's like, hell no, I'll burn this place to the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, like, why is she first? It's just like in her head. She's like hearing like her stupid banter with Billy Loomis in that room. And then she's like repeating the lines out loud within the scene. What the fuck? Like, why suddenly in the third movie is is this happening? It's so bad. It's completely like inconsistent with the the general vibe of the franchise. You know, it's not a franchise that does dream sequences. Only apparently now it is. The killer big, shows up. Big on nostalgia. Runs around, chases her. She eventually, like, there's a, a bit where she's, like, hearing her mother. And it's, like, there's a, one of the sets is, like, a Marine Prescott, like, dead body crime scene. Yeah. Which I've always, I, I don't know what about you. I was always confused about how exactly and where Marine Prescott was killed. Like, whenever they describe it in the other, in, like, Scream 1. I always assumed it wasn't at the house. Me too. I thought they'd like found the body somewhere in town. I figured it was at the motel, which we see later hmm. on. And there's all this like, like Sydney saw somebody leaving wearing Cotton Weary's jacket. Like where was she when she saw this happening? Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the, the body under the, the you know coroner's blanket stands up and it's just like, come to mommy, Sydney, or whatever. Do as your mother tells you. And she freaks out and like falls out the window and like rolls down onto the fake grass. And then everybody suddenly runs in. They're like, oh, what's going on, Sid? Are you just being crazy and weird? Are you having visions? Yeah. Yeah. We don't believe you at all. Yeah. Later on, the asshole cop, after he talks to her, is like, the good news is I actually believe your crazy story, your crazy broad. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, it's just annoying that they, they did what – or they're building on what they think is set up for this bullshit with the mom and, and, and Billy's mom and, like, the Mrs. Voorhees joke mm. and all this stuff. But it's so, so – There's a moment here where the stupid Dempsey cop has sunglasses on and he looks even more cheesy than ever before. Yeah. God. So bad. Yeah. They go – Sorry, go ahead. I, I, said, I don't remember who said this, but I wrote down – the truest line of dialogue, which is Hollywood is full of criminals whose careers are flourishing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, like all the characters in this seem less savvy than they used to be. Like when Gail showed up at the set for the first time, she's like, "Ooh, amazing Hollywood!" And it's like, Gail, like, you're better than that. <laughs> Seriously, um, I read something where Aaron Kruger said that was uh, Craven deserves like a screenwriting credit on this because apparently Aaron Kruger kept writing. He kept he, he blamed it on the fact that he wasn't involved in the creation of the first two. Wow. So he kept writing the characters differently. Wes Craven would have to step in and like steer him back on the course. So supposedly he, uh, Kruger kept writing uh, Sydney as like Sarah Connor and Terminator 2. And Craven was like, no, that's wrong. Um, so you basically have characters who don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Played by actors who could barely care. <laughs> I just feel bad for Wes Craven. I think he, he had to agree to do this to do music from the heart, right? Yeah. Or music of yeah. the heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's like he's stuck with some hack writer instead of the the original writer who doesn't understand I, any of the characters. The the thing that I think of like the production of this movie is is the the only good part of Jane Silent and Bob Strike Back, where they're doing Goodwill Hunting too, and like us fans is just off on the side like counting money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's there's a scene where Roman Bridger, the director, is like whining to the producer John Milton, and like, oh, they canceled my movie. Variety says I'm a pariah. I don't even know what that word means. Nah. Yeah. And then the 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 rest of the Scooby Gang shows up here, and and there really is like a Scooby Doo vibe to some of these uh, bits with Gail Weathers. Like I want to say a couple times, her, it's either her and Parker Posey, or maybe even with Dewey too. They like they'll say the same line of dialogue at the same time. Yeah, you know it it has a very Scooby Doo vibe. I thought this movie was going to end with them like kissing and like Dewey like drooling over it. This movie's such garbage. Yeah. Um, well, they, they find out that like John Milton was like just just this like creepy asshole who like had like rape parties back in the day or something. And he's just and like Marine Prescott, like went to one of them and was like abused by a bunch of people. And he's just like, oh, she didn't get anything. She didn't invite in one way or another. And I feel like maybe this is just the early 2000s. It seems like they let a lot of this just slide right on by. Yep. <laughs> like yep. this guy is like basically like. Like I have like rape parties, you know, where like horrible things happen to women trying to get a job in Hollywood, and like uh-huh. Marine's, Marine's problem is that she didn't talk. play the game. Yeah, locker room talk. And they're just like, well, you're kind of gross, but whatever. <sighs> yeah, yeah, with a stick of butter. Um, hey, can I ask you a question? Of, yeah, what's your favorite scary movie? My life. God. I was, I was going to say, are we at the scene where they're in the office and she's mm-hmm. trapped in the detective's office? This asshole absolutely carries a copy of his screenplay of him everywhere. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's like he's like the Hollywood cop. Like he he handles all the homicides in Hollywood because he grew up here and he knows how the how it all works or something. Um, I guess they want us to think that like maybe he could be the killer because he's like a little too into like the, the industry or something. I was waiting for him to say like the movies murdered my parents or yeah. something. Oh, and the, there's um, like a, a a suggestion of romance that's just completely not there. Like I forgot to mention earlier when he rolls up, like after he first met Sydney, like him and his partner go somewhere, 
And he's just like, oh, I got to keep an eye on like Sidney Prescott and his partner's just like, ooh, cooties, you know, like, like out of nowhere. It's like there's like completely unmotivated. We've never gotten any sense that there is any sort of attraction between the two of them. But his partner's like, oh, you're going to get her flowers. I hate the partner so much. He's, yeah. he's like so like dry, sarcastic, like not clever though. Mm-hmm. He was making a movie called Stab. He was stabbed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but Patrick Dempsey's character is the kind of guy who like, he talks about how haunted he is as a flirting technique. <laughs> Hashtag haunted. Yeah. There's a word. <laughs> it's overused, but haunted. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just thinking of something better. Remember PLL? Man, I miss PLL. Yeah. Yeah, what are the actual bad guys doing at a time like this? They even like completely bastardize uh, our like desire for a new clue sequence in screen three here because it's all at a big mansion and yet it's just totally dumb. Like the kind of semi climax here is they all, it's, we discover it's like Roman Bridger's birthday. So it's like, oh, by the way, he's having a birthday party or something. And like they get a, a obviously fake phone call from Sydney being like, hey, Dewey, I'm going to the, the John Milton's house for the birthday party. Like, come come see me. No, I won't respond to any of your questions. Bye. Click. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's he's just like, like, that's not suspicious at all. <laughs> yeah. It's the remaining actors and, and the director here. Just like, I guess there's I guess he's supposed to be really drunk. Like he's just acting loopy. I guess it's supposed to be like he's had had like a whole bottle of champagne already or something. Well, because his his career is ruined. Mm-hmm. He's a pariah. I don't know what that means. Yeah. And then he's just like, yeah, this is like John Milton's like fancy mansion. They had like crazy rape parties here. That's cool, right? Let's go look for his secret sex dungeon. Yeah. And they're and everyone's like, yeah, let's do that. And so they're just like, yeah, let's split up and look around for the sex dungeon because they they're like. That'd be a good thing to do. You know, the black guy has to, you know, he has this one like, hey guys, that's what they do in horror movies. And, you know, bad things happen. But nobody listens to him. It's just like, fuck this, I'm going home. Yeah. Gail and Dewey show, Gail, yeah, Gail Dewey and uh, Parker Posey show up. And this is just like an extended sequence where most of the extra characters die pretty much. They, they, they were like, that's weird that Sydney's not here. So they start 69. And the phone, like the you know, it's ringing from inside like a closet, and it's like they're inside the closet is like the ghost face mask, a voice changer, and the phone, like all just sitting right there. That's where they find out that they that the killer can do multiple voices. Yeah, I feel like they could have made that supposition based on accounts earlier. Well, it's weird because it's so it's such a poor hiding place. Yeah, you're thinking like, oh, is this like a? Is there another layer? Is this a trap? You know, were they supposed well, is, to is find that? Yeah. No, no, it's just, I guess the killer is just like, I'll just stash this here and no one will ever star 69 the phone. It's just sloppy killmanship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this killer does a lot of fucking teleporting around this mansion too. I mean, I guess he like hand wave it and say like secret passages or something, but he's like upstairs suddenly, he's downstairs suddenly, he's appearing oh, out of do. doors all over the place. They do hand wave secret passageways. He's just like coming out of closets. Yeah. Uh, the, I guess he'd say, oh, there's a passage in there or something. Um, I have no notes other than Ellie Mortimer, Mortimer runs in a goofy kind of way up until when the killer throws the knife up the stairs. <laughs> um, at one point, Rowan Bridger, like he like dies off screen where it's like he's looking around, finds like a creepy like Crypt Keeper coffin. 
and then later on, Gail is like downstairs and like opens up the coffin and he's there stabbed to death. Ooh, off screen death. That's not suspicious. If only that was the end of Roman Bridger. Scott Foley from Felicity. Yeah. Well, like these characters used to be savvy. Gail and Dewey show up and they're just like, oh my God, the killer's here. Like it's a voice changer, the outfit, like something's going on. Let's split up. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? He's like, here, Gail, you take the gun. I'll go look for, I don't even know what he's supposed to be doing. It's like, yeah, let's totally split up. You know, no safety in numbers. Oh, oh, Scott Foley from Felicity also says earlier at one point when they split up the first time with, I'll be right back. Yeah. Which is like, I don't even feel like that was a clever reference to the previous movies. I feel like that was just a happy accident for these assholes. Seriously, I think I need a just a gif of Emily Mortimer running here. Yes, yes. Please. I think she's not only Somebody heels, but I think us. like maybe platforms or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like she's like an alien that's been inhabited Emily Mortimer's body that has never run before with human legs. <laughs> Her arms are flapping all over the place. Exactly. And then she's like, and she reveals just like, I ain't fuck John Milton not to blah, blah, blah. Cause it's like, Ooh, look at that. Like she, you know, like prostituted herself to get this part in the movie and now it's canceled. I don't know where they're going with, with the sexual politics in this movie. Like it's all pretty gross. I mean, it's, it's like, they're trying to be like, Ooh, Hollywood's exploitive. And yet we're just going to make jokes about it the whole time. And then she just gets attacked and that's it. Like the killings when they happen are just like so immediate. And it's just like, oh, there's Ghostface face and he kills her. And that's it. Literally yeah. dragged out of frame. That's the last we see of her. There's not even like the scene where like, you know, how some horror movies have the the kind of menagerie of bodies at the end uh-huh. where it's like they they finally stumble into the room where like all the people that have been killed in the last half hour have been like hung up and displayed and whatnot. Right, right. Like we don't even get one of those. I don't know that I would recognize half this cast. <laughs> true, true. If I haven't seen them for like 15 minutes, I've forgotten they're in this movie. That's how forgettable they are. That's the problem is that the new cast is so lame, and unenjoyable, and forgettable. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about any of them. Yeah, a Tyson here is the black guy. He like randomly just gets stabbed and like thrown off a balcony or something. Yeah. Like it's just it's not even creative or clever. He just gets stabbed and like stumbles away and dies. Parker Posey somehow or other, she finds herself inside like a, a kind of like a false wall or something like that, where it's like, there's a bunch of mirrors in this bedroom that like, are are uh, one ways where like, there's like a room for like viewing presumably. So these like creepy Hollywood, like sex pirates can like, go hide behind you know the one-way mirror and like watch people have sex or something you didn't even say party you said pirates sure sex pirates i'm giving them more credit than they deserve i know but it's like that'd be be a john milton movie that's the implication here they do nothing with it you know you kind of have to like make your own inferences as to what this is and why it would exist oh Um, also it's seemingly here's here's my problem with the psychology of this architecture mm mm-hmm I get you're a sleazy Hollywood producer who engages in uh, high seas sex party or sex piracy uh, things. Like, why would you have the viewing gallery of your own bedroom? That's super weird. 
I can see. I understand wanting to watch others. I don't know. I guess you're just like the super right. voyeuristic. Like, just knock out the ceiling and have people sit in the gallery above and watch, like they do surgery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was gonna make a reference to the Baroque cycle, but I don't want to spoil anything for you. Anyway, um, then the most politest man in France shows up. Yes, indeed. She Parker Posey, like she does some weird thing where she's hiding in a closet and somehow like rolls through the back of it and she's in this secret area and it's like a wine cellar too yeah. right like there's like wine in there um but then this is really weird like the the kind of geometry and architecture of this house because the killer we see just threw this dude off a balcony on like the second story or at least the second story right yeah and then somehow cut back to parker posey who's going down some stairs like seemingly down into like some sort of wine cellar basement and like down a spiral staircase and then suddenly the killer's all the way down there like the killer just threw someone off a balcony on at least the second story and now he's suddenly at the bottom of this like cellar staircase chasing parker posey back up to the second story i don't don't, it's so confusing yeah it's just poorly made uh and then it's like oh no she's stuck behind the mirrors and she sees uh, Dewey and Gale in there, but like they can't hear her. I guess it's like soundproofed or something too. The lost little girl inside of Gale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like referencing lovers or whatever trapped in the other side of glass, but lamer. And they're Actually, like, oh, the mirrors are vibrating. That's weird. And so they start shooting them out, but like too late because uh, Parker Posey gets stabbed to death in what might be the most perfunctory killing in the whole movie. And the killer just like teleports away. Like, I don't know where he would have gone. Because they like shot out all the other glass windows. There's nowhere else for the killer to go. He's right behind that mirror, and then only Parker Posey falls out. Whatever. And so it's like, well, she's dead. Moving on. The killer eventually like gets the upper hand and like knocks Dewey out. There's that whole stupid thing where he throws a knife at Dewey, and it's like the uh, like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, like following the knife as it zooms towards Dewey. But it, the butt of the knife hits him. The handle hits him in, in the head, knocks him out goofy. instead of stabbing him. That was in the trailer too. People were like, "Oh, do we gonna die?" No. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. We both have that that note that in the trailer, mm-hmm. people thought Dewey's gonna die. Uh, you know, the thing is, the giant Silent Bob has already taken me out of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so the rest of this movie might as well be that episode of whatever where I'm in the afterlife. Like I'm in the coma and it's like, it's just getting goofier. It's like, I'm never, I'm going into the light. I'm never coming back. <laughs> yeah. And the killer at this point calls Sydney. Cause she's just like still hanging out in this police office, which is such a weird cut. You're like, Oh no, what's going to happen to Dewey and Gail? Is somebody going to show up the last minute? No, let's just cut to, to Sydney. Like just chilling, like bored somewhere. You know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and she like sees a file on her, and it's a bunch of newspaper clippings about her. And this is clearly only here to make you think like, "Ooh, maybe that cop is up to something," you know. Yeah. Um, but then she gets a call, and is it like pretending to be her mother or something? I can't even remember. I can't even remember. Eventually, it's like, "No, click, click, it's the killer, surprise!" And it's just like you have to like follow my instructions, don't tell anyone, and like come, come over here. And so she's as she's on the phone, she like spots a. Uh, a bulletproof vest just like hanging on a hanger nearby. Yeah. And then before she leaves, she like pulls a little like uh ankle holster gun 
out for the cop's desk. So she has that too. Is drop even gun. though we've already established she has drop gun, even though we've already established that she has a gun of her own. Yeah. I don't know why, like it's, it's just so in this next scene, like the killer, like makes her use a metal detector on herself. And it's like, Oh, you found my gun. I'll throw it away. Zoink surprise. I had a second one. That was the decoy. That seems a little too specific to me. Like, why Why would she think to do that? If you already had a gun, why would you be like, I need a decoy gun? Yeah. Like, you knew that he was going to have a metal detector. I feel like they got a note. It's like, well, you need to make Sydney smarter. You know? <laughs> so it's like, I got it. She'll know that he's going to have a metal detector and she'll have a decoy gun. So you just, I, I feel bad for uh, Tyson here. She just like walks up and finds this dude's body and it's just like, eh, whatever. She's like, she's like, I have no idea who this is. Yeah, I don't know who it's this just is. just another dead black man in the movies. Um, Yeah, like, oh God, this movie is so weak. After like we half nod at the fascinating moment from Scream 2 with the cop and the killer unconscious in the car and they have to climb over and like, mm-hmm. is the killer awake or not? We get all this bullshit. I... I have like, you know, here's the sad thing. We talked about like the Twilight movies. We took too many notes. Mm-hmm. For so much of this movie, I have no notes whatsoever. No, I took like four notes in this movie. Like yeah, I'm just, which, everything I'm saying right now, I'm just like skimming through it in quick time here because this movie's garbage. Yeah. We I'm didn't even mention. Are, yeah. We, we didn't even mention the, uh, the bit where the killer's unconscious and Gail calls Dewey and she's like, Dewey, it's me. You know, like the killer is unconscious. You got to help me out. And he's just like, how do I know it's you? And they, they don't even do the, like say something only you would know. And it's like heartwarming or like touching or, you know, it's like, they don't even manage to hit that beat. Yeah. You're expecting them to at least hit that beat that like, it's not a, it's certainly not a new trope or anything, but it's like, he could have at least gone there and they don't even do that. There's no like, you know, Gail telling Dewey about the, that time out on the lake or anything like that. The time on the lake it happens to all men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just got to reference that one 30 Rock episode where he's at the uh, uh, high school reunion pretending to be someone else. And then she's just like, say what you said to me that night out on the lake. And it's just like, no. And she's like, wow. I just want to reference the, I think it's the last season when Jack from the future shows up. And it's like, are we going to have a threesome now? Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh Sydney's just like, naha, I threw away one gun, but I have another, and she shoots the killer like a bunch of times in the chest. And the killer goes down, and then she's like rescuing the others. And then I think it's it's this happens a lot in this movie where it's like they suddenly look back and oh, where'd the killer go? You know? Um, so there's some fighting. The Patrick fucking Dempsey shows up and he gets stabbed, but obviously just like a flesh wound. Um, it's another one of these moments where it's like she suspects him and she's got the gun pointed at him. And then like, oh, no, here comes a killer behind one of them. That happens a lot in this movie, I feel like. Yeah. So lots of wrestling and fighting. She finds her way down into like a hidden room where like I guess the sex dungeon was. Sex dungeon slash screening room slash I yeah, it's like a screening a room. Single sex black surface dungeon. in that room. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, get a black light in this place. Uh, the killer has like apparently there's like another way into this secret screening room because the killer shows up 
he's got the uh, the bloody coroner's blanket over him. It's like pretending to be Maureen and being like, I'm the mother and all that, you know. He's do not as, even putting. Do as your mother says. He's not even putting glasses over the bloody corner blanket to make like a Halloween reference. It's just, <laughs> it's again, it's just everything these movies made fun of. Everything. And then the, I, I like that it's they take that blanket off and it's just ghost face underneath. I don't know how he found the time to like sneak into this place from another entrance and like just get the presentation ready, you know? Yeah. But then Sydney can't get out because he's got the killer's got like a remote control or something to like lock people into the screening room. That's the, thing. That's the yeah. thing you have. Yeah. Um, and then we finally get the reveal. Oh, by the way, there's like um, there's like some old, old home movies playing on on the screening on the you know on the screen um, of like Maureen Prescott. It's like a birthday celebration at one point, I think. Because yeah. if, if you haven't picked up by now, there's a lot of like we have the same mother vibes. Um, this is this is where Billy Loomis's dad shows up with the bang still happening. Mm-hmm. And then we get to reveal, oh my god, Scott Foley wasn't actually dead. He's Sydney's brother. Dun, 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 dun. There's a lot of bad things about everything. Has in this. she even met this character? No, no, she hasn't. She's never met him. Because he's like Roman Bridger, director. And she's like, huh? Like who? Did you do that Nine Inch Nails video? Mm-hmm. What about the Rolling Stones video? I'm just making David Fincher references here. <laughs> um, like I said, there's a lot of bad things about this movie. One of the worst things is that his all of his like killer monologuing and whatnot, he's still wearing the fucking Ghostface outfit, which we haven't gotten in a Scream movie before because it looks dumb. Yeah. You know, like it, it actually kind of looks dumb for a person without the mask to just be standing there in this like black <laughs> gown with these like arm frills and, and whatnot. Even Mickey was like, let me take this off. Yeah, yeah, you got to take it off. Uh, and then he, this guy reveals that he's Sydney's brother, and he's very, very unhappy that, uh, like, I, I guess Maureen got, like, pregnant from being raped by all these Hollywood assholes and, like, gave the kid up for adoption. This guy grew up to be a successful Hollywood director, but that wasn't enough for him. He had to go back home and, like, I don't know, reconnect with Maureen. And she was just like, no, I don't want you. I gave you up for adoption. And so then he had to start killing people. This guy makes me think, you know, who wasn't so bad? Ramsey Snow. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> well, this guy, it's like, you know, you're a Hollywood director. You, you don't have it that bad. Just saying. It's yeah. not like he, he, it doesn't sound like you had a, a super horrible life. I don't know. You're doing pretty well for yourself. So, oh, and uh, Milton's here. Maybe Milton's the father? Or it's unclear. I, that's, that's, I guess, what I took from it, but I don't know. Yeah, he, and then he's just like, I have voice changer, like, uh, you on an answering machine saying you're going to come over and do this. I'm going to frame you for it because you're the, the villain now, not me. And he, like, kills John Milton and, you know, monologues a lot. And eventually there's a big fight and he dies. The end. I'm I mean, tired of recapping. <laughs> like Lance Henriksen was just like, this is a popular movie series with the kids. Like this will, this is not a bad idea for me. Uh, you know, I, I was an alien. I was Frank Black from Millennium. At one um, point, Scott Foley shoots Nev Campbell and she goes down. But then, aha, she had the bulletproof vest on. Well, they have a they have a pretty extended brawl, which is the subject of reshoots. Um, their brawl takes place when she yells, fuck you. And he yells, fuck you. And then they start fighting. Um, she stabs him with an ice pick eventually. 
Yeah, there's like there's a lot of very unclever like Star sixty nine happening. Dewey like shocks himself with some tweezers in an electrical outlet. I think that was to like disable like the power locks on the door or something. Or something. I think I think unclever Star sixty nining is like a very nineties sex move. <laughs> um, there's an almost sweet moment or going for sweet as Scott Foley from Felicity dies holding her hand. Well, she's like, she's like, oh, you're dying. Let me take your hand and like ride you out into that long night together. Like, what what the fuck is this? You don't care about this guy. You just found out he was your brother like two minutes ago. He tried to kill you. I just I don't buy it at all. Literally never met him before. Mm-hmm. And he took credit for killing your mother. Um, so then she steps away from him and somebody's like, well, you remember Randy's, you know, gospel rules of trilogies. This guy could be superhuman. And she's like, oh, he's not super. And then, you know, the guy bursts back up. There's a dumb gag about Dewey shooting him in the bulletproof vest. Of course, he's wearing a bulletproof vest. And so finally they're like, no, Dewey, the head, the head. (laughs) Finally, he shoots him in the head and he dies. The line is so bad. She says something like, he's not superhuman, dot, dot, dot. He's not superhuman. Like, it's just like they didn't know what to say at that point. She's just like repeating her line. And then he's just like, nah, I'm still alive. Um, we forgot to mention he takes credit for like recruiting Billy Loomis. He like figured out yeah. that Maureen was fucking Billy's dad and like recruited him as like a Paul guy. I hate that kind of retconning. <sighs> yeah. It's like if you made a Star Wars movie and you're like, what if Mon Mothma was a coward? Sorry, I won't complain about that. Anyway, he's dead finally. And then like cut back to this ranch house that Sid lives on and Dewey and Gail are there and he like has hidden a, a, an engagement ring in her book. And there's like some awkward dialogue about her him being like, oh, I wanted you to sign this, which I, this would maybe, I don't, I don't know where this would work. Like I, I, I get that they're like, oh, that would be cute if he hid the ring in a book. But like, it doesn't make sense for him to be asking her to sign it now. Right. It also would not have in the last movie. You know, it's like right. nice idea. It doesn't fit anywhere and do something else. Unless they, they constantly do role plays where he plays a fan, mm-hmm. Gail Weathers, that she has to seduce. Um, Sid comes back with her dog and she opens like the gates to her little ranch and leaves them like wide she's open. She's a stranger. Well, it's not like she's a stranger to walk in the dog before. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like she's suddenly free to like let her wings stretch out. But um, she leaves the gates open. She's also in like a, a Sari like wrap skirt for some reason. I don't really know why. Yeah. Um, she Much comes like Pierce Brosnan at Gold Knight. Yeah, she comes inside and it's like gonna turn on the alarm, and it's like, oh no, maybe I won't. And then Patrick, fucking Patrick Dempsey is here, like he's her boyfriend now or something. Like, where did I, that come from? I actually hated this more than I hated the uh, my life because he's like, oh Sydney, we're going to watch a movie, and she's like, what movie? And he's like, you'll just have to come and see. And then she literally leaves the door open, which ugh on the metaphor front. But like, shut the, the same fucking time, door. It's like yeah, you, it's you windy. There's gonna be like leaves. Us? It looks yeah. like it's fall. Like there, it's gonna be dirt and leaves blowing inside. What are you inside. paying for this air conditioning for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was it's never so a dumb. hint of romantic tension between her and Patrick Dempsey, and yet somehow they're like together at the end of this. He's he's got like his arm in a sling, even though he's Patrick stabbed Dempsey in the shoulder. Is if like a small child was suddenly a forty year old man of stubble. Uh-huh. God. This fucking movie. And then it's like some like some like quasi creedish like music plays on the soundtrack. And that's the movie. 
literally they recorded Red Right Hand 2 for this movie. It's so stupid. Oh, and I think David Arquette might have a song on the soundtrack. Much like the second one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this soundtrack is like Fuel, <sighs> Static X. It's Fuel, like Creed. the least of the offenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Did you look at the uh the, I haven't looked the whole one. No, I'm sure it's god awful. It is. Was Nickelback around yet, or stained? Uh, oh god, stained. Slipknot. Mm-hmm. Godsmack. There's those. Us. Those are Incubus. all bands that make me think of Scream. Sure. Incubus. God, fuck those guys. Yeah. Static X. Uh, full Devil Jacket. So the moral of the story here is that the year 2000 fucking sucked. God. Yeah. Yeah. I just I feel like I didn't appreciate the Scream 2 soundtrack nearly as much as I should have. No. Long for the days of Everclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could make one change for this movie, what would you do? Literally everything. Um, I also, just re- the last song on the soundtrack is by Creed, of course. It's called Is This The End? <laughs> uh, my only change would be to fire Aaron Kruger out of a can. At, at the very beginning? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my change would have been that, but also let Wes Craven make music of the heart and then see if he wants to make Scream 3. Well, I don't know. I mean, don't, I really like Scream. Him. I really like Scream 2. I was never really excited for Scream 3. I was like, I don't know if they should make it. You know, I felt like we ended in a good place. It didn't seem like they really wanted to make Scream 3 other than like for money. Like it didn't seem like any of the, the creative people involved cared. No. Maybe just don't make the movie. Or if you were, like, they should have, this should have come out in like 1998. It should have been like one each year and then you're gone, you're out, you do your trilogy and you're done. But instead, they made like fucking, they're like, hey, let's, let's make Teaching Mrs. Tingle and some other crappy movies for Kevin Williamson. You can get busy with Dawson's Creek. So, do you want to do our, our bottom or worst of the worst power rankings? Uh, why don't you go first? Uh, number 10, the 10th worst. I don't know if 10th worst is fair because I, I left least, out a lot of like minor characters, but you know, least worse. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Rutherford. Oh yeah. I feel like she, she looked pretty good and she got the hell out of there as fast as she could. That's a solid appearance. Yeah. Um, she does not appear on this list at all because <laughs> just because of the word worst. Yeah. I didn't think of her at all. Um, I wouldn't say that my 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 crush on Kelly Rutherford is like Sarah Michelle Gellar levels, but it's it's intense. Um, She's got a little worked. bit of a um, what's her face from Gone Girl? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Rosamund Pike, yeah. Rosamund Pike, yeah. She's got a little bit of that going on. I mean, there was like a thing where she had played Buffy's hot aunt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, don't threaten me. Have a good time. Um, my number ten is Roger Jackson as the voice that is barely used. Mm-hmm. Good God. My number nine is Sydney. <laughs> um, I mean, she's barely in the movie, so uh, that's good. Downgrade for a seemingly entering into a romance with Patrick Dempsey at the end of this. But I feel like for the most part, she's pretty much just being Sydney. And it's kind of like, mm-hmm. seems vaguely annoyed with everything. You know, As you she's should like, be. this cop is lame. This case is lame, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my number nine is Sydney, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. My number eight is Parker Posey. Hmm. 
mind you, this is backwards, you know. Um, I feel like in my memory, Parker Posey was a little better than on rewatch. I didn't feel like she was quite as good on rewatch, but I don't know. She's she's mostly just being Parker Posey, but at least right. it's occasionally entertaining. And it always annoyed me that they, they killed her off so so abruptly that it was just like, yeah, she's dead. Whatever. And not and not like uh, interesting and like it's a metaphor at all. No, um, it's just like oh, the killer stabbed her and teleported out of there. I mean, I hope it won't be entirely like this, but yes, my number eight is also <laughs> Parker Posey as, as Fake Gale. Parker Posey is an actor whose career, in, in retrospect, I remember being great. I'm a big Parker Posey fan, and then yeah. I go back and I watch some of those those things, and she 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 can really play it over the top. Indie darling, yeah, that was in at the time. Um, like I really like her, like in things like House of Yes, but or even uh, uh, Kicking and Screaming, the uh, the first what's his name movie, not with Stillman, but um. Noah Baumbach, mm-hmm. but like uh, uh, when she plays it lower register, like more human, she's fantastic, but she doesn't do that very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, number seven, I have Deputy Dewey Riley, no longer deputy. Um, yeah, he's 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 not he's not what we've had in the past, but he's more he's similar, I guess. Not, he doesn't have Gail's bad haircut, so he's got that going for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's your number seven? Uh, my number seven is Gale and Dewey together. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have Gale at six, so obviously we're ranking them about the same. Uh, um, Gale downgraded for the hair. Th- those bangs are just atrocious. Those are a and, war crime. And Gale not being herself at all. No, no. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like dumb Scooby-Doo shit where it's like her and, her and fake Gale Weathers are just like, Marine Prescott like stare at each other like oh my god you know they say at the same time it's so dumb yeah um, number which is sorry. which is why my number six is cotton cotton yeah I've cotton at five so <laughs> yeah we're pretty much on the same page yeah cotton is downgrades for his stupid attire that uh, he also gets out of there quickly I feel like between my number five and number four there's like a vast like asterisk which would just be like every other character in the movie besides my my mm-hmm. four through one you know like this is where Which like your jenny mccarthy's and your carrie fisher's and and other people are all going to show up here which is interesting because I, I would agree with you my number five is lance Hendrickson. okay and then it's like 20 years deeper down mm-hmm. the pit is my number four and on yeah so i have jane and silent bob as number four this is tough because they are the fucking worst but i feel like there's other worse people too um they're they're not at my number four but they they're coming. <laughs> What's he, what do you got for number four? My number four is the rest of the cast of Stab Three mm-hmm. and the other cop. Oh god, that fucking guy! That that guy has like a special exemption exemption to be the literal worst. Um, yeah. My number three is Patrick Dempsey because he sucked. I mean, my number two, I'll, I'll say it right now, is more for like you know political reasons. But yeah, Patrick Dempsey, is garbage. Okay, his character was awful. Okay, and uh, this was your number. That was three. Three. Yeah. Okay, my number three is Aaron Kruger and the powers that be that made this movie. Oh, I don't have enough bad things to say about Aaron Kruger. You know what that guy went on to do? The Transformer movies. 
Really? It's just it's disgusting to think he's like, probably has like a lot of fuck you money from those stupid fucking movies. He's that's terrible. weird to me. I I just assumed that the Transformer movies were like those guys from like Fringe. He's like the other guy on them, I guess. Oh, okay, huh? Like the thing about Aaron Kruger is here's a here's a creative entity in Hollywood that like temporarily distracts me from like slinging whatever at like Simon Kinberg. <laughs> Fucking Kenberg. Don't get me started on that guy. I feel like he's he's the cancer that's like just sucking it's dragging Star Wars down. They gotta get that guy out of the story group. Anyway. Word. Uh what are we on? Number two? Uh sure. So I put John Milton, aka Lance Hendrickson, just because like that character is so casually just like completely disgusting. Yeah. And I feel like the movie just does not even really make a point of it. Like, it, I feel like the movie is just kind of like, eh, it's this crazy Hollywood 70s days when, like, there was a casting couch and it was, like, unethical. It's like, dude, this guy's hosting rape parties and, like, still victim blaming. And, like, yeah, he's just disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, locker room talk. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty devastatingly bad. Um my number two, as as right as you all are, <laughs> my number two is Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> oh God, I think we both have the same number one. No, I have. I have. You mentioned my number one. Okay, uh, I have Roman Bridger at number one. Oh, Scott you know, Roman Bridger Foley fucking sucks. He's actually not on my list at all, even though he's pretty atrocious. My number one is Jane Silent Bob. Okay. Yeah. That that is a huge, perfectly fair. That is, yeah. That is like the captain of the Titanic being like, "That iceberg's no big deal." Well, just you had a secret brother this whole time, Sydney, and she's like, "What the fuck? Come on!" Like it's just like, what if we steered into all the stupid tropes from other horror movies? You know, like we're not even making a joke about it. Yeah. But yeah, Jalen Silent Bob. Ugh. Why? Jane well, Silent Bob should never show up in a non-Kevin Smith movie, just in my opinion. Yeah. Well, like I was reading something where the line in the sand, according to Aaron Kruger with Craven, was like the violence. The wine scenes want him to tone down the violence. And he was mm-hmm. like, listen, it's a screen movie. We have to have some violence. Mm-hmm. The line in the sand should have been Jane Silent Bob. Yeah, really. I would have welcomed this as a wacky sex romp comedy if it didn't feature Jane Silent Bob. Why would Jane Silent Bob be taking a tour of a Hollywood studio? They're from Jersey. Makes uh, no sense. Listen, obviously Stab 3 is not going to be any good, but we know that Stab 5 features time travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually looking forward to Scream 4 again now. I mean, Anna Paquin, Kristen Bale, and uh, Bell and uh, Lucy Hale. Our beloved Lucy Hale, yes. Mm-hmm. As, as this thing, as the river slowly steers back <laughs> for us and everything comes together. Allison yeah. Brie is there for no reason other than to get murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Can't wait. Um, yeah, that was screen three. It's a terrible movie and you shouldn't watch it. I hope you found us uh, entertaining in our dissection. Yeah. Aaron Kruger should be ashamed of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone involved in this really like nobody comes out of this movie looking good. Nobody gets up clean. I don't think. All right. Well, we'll do Scream 4 next week. Um, 
Oh, you know what we should do? Was it Raquel who recommended Die Hard? Yeah. We should do we should do just the first one. I don't think we need to do any of the other ones. Like that would be a good holiday one, right? Because we're getting close to Christmas. My feeling is with those. That's here's my loophole. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. We should do the others at some point. Do you really want to do fucking Jai Courtney and Die Hard Five at some point? Absolutely, I don't. Absolutely, okay. I don't. But I, I we have the power, that, you know. I, I checked the Constitution. There isn't one. <laughs> There's no charter for this podcast. We can do what we want. I am I'm 100 on board for Die Hard. Uh, I, I actually, I, I feel like way. if there's, oh, sorry, go ahead. I actually went out the other day, granted it was used. I mm-hmm. bought the DVD of Die Hard okay. just because I thought we might do it. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like if there is a single rule, an ironclad rule, this podcast, of course we can also waive, is it's the no Jai Courtney rule, which we will waive for Divergent eventually. We'll do yeah. that. Probably just the first one. But yeah, in general, it's no, no Jai Courtney. Well, just, on the at the headcanon offices, we just have a a big picture of him with a circle and a slash over him, his face. Mm-hmm. No, Jay Courtney. Mm-hmm. Also, Miles Teller, um, as Yawa as my witness, uh, no more Patrick Dempsey ever. Yes, Jesus Christ. Why? Which why is, was Patrick Dempsey ever a thing? Why is it that I hate Patrick Dempsey more than I hate Jay Courtney? <laughs> Because I do. Where did he go? Like Grey's Anatomy eventually or something? I remember that there was that movie, that fucking movie. I think it was called Loverboy, which was on TV, like local TV channels, like on the weekends. Always. It was always like they would play their like Saturday, their their weekly Saturday broadcast of Smokey and the Bandit and then fucking Loverboy. The one where he's like a pizza delivery boy slash gigolo to Rich Mills. Rich Mills. Now there's a name for a movie. Yeah, and I was like, mm-hmm. this guy. Oh, we had to talk about how one of John Milton's previous movies was Amazombies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to get called in somebody's office to pitch Amazombies. <laughs> it's just fun to say. Um, he was an outbreak as like one of the guys who gets like fakey bulla and dies. Too bad that wasn't a documentary. Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, played Jimbo. <laughs> Anyway, uh, next week, Scream 4 or the week after Die Hard. I think we can say that. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds juicy. That's good. And we'll see where we go after that. Um, until then, have a good one. Yeah, later. Bye-bye.